0: The Naked Scientist. Naked Scientist Time. Uh, taking your calls on 011 8830702 and the WhatsApp line 072 1702. All of your science related questions. Dr. Chris Smith, happy Monday. How are you doing?
1: Happy Monday. I'm very well. How are you?
0: I am fantastic. And uh, the questions have already started coming in. So let's get to the first one. Luke asks, What is it that makes the sound when a lightning strikes? The lightning comes with a thunder sound. What causes that sound? And why does electricity not have a sound even on high voltages?
1: Hi, Luke. Well, actually, electricity can have a sound on high voltages. As I experienced this morning, it was very misty here when I got up. And there's a pylon not too far from where I was walking. And the damp air around the pylon from the mist... Does cause the electricity to track across the insulators, these the things that dangle down from the arms of the pylon holding the wire, and you do hear a buzzing noise. And it's the electricity arcing because the water does provide some path off the cable onto the earth of the pylon. So you, you get this buzzing, crackling noise. And the power companies lose enormous amounts of electricity in wet weather. So they don't like the fact that the electricity does have a sound under those circumstances. But turning to lightning, lightning is made by tiny particles in clouds. These are called hydrometeors. They're ice, ice crystals that bob up and down in clouds on air currents and they rub up against each other. And as they rub against each other and jostle for position, it's a bit like you rubbing a balloon on your head, on your hair. The balloon gets statically charged and will stick to the wall. And the particles inside the cloud get statically charged, but for some reason we're not entirely sure about. The particles with one charge go to the bottom of the cloud, negative. The particles which have a positive charge on them go to the top. So you end up with the cloud... Uh, with a very negative charge at the bottom, and this has an effect of creating an electric field between the bottom of the cloud and the Earth's surface. And when it reaches a threshold level of a sufficiently high voltage, it will ionise the air, and that means rip the electrons off of some of the gas molecules in the air, and electrons carry charge. And so as a result of that, they, they can carry a current from the cloud down to the ground and this is the flash of lightning you see a thin tendril of ionized gas connects the bottom of the cloud to the ground and the charge flows and you you sort of redress the imbalance that's there now the current that flows when this happens is so enormous it's thousands of amps of current flowing it's discharging billions of joules of electricity and energy terms down to the ground and when you have that vast release of electricity all within a fraction of a second, the heating effect is stupendous. The temperature of a, a lightning bolt heats the air around that tendril of electricity to 30, 40,000 degrees. And that's actually hotter than the surface of the sun, which is only about 5,000 degrees. When you put that much energy into the air, what it does is expand because gases, as you give them energy and make them hotter, they get bigger. So the gas around the lightning bolt gets instantaneously much much bigger and it expands so quickly that the air can't get out of the way fast enough for the gas to expand and it creates a shock wave in much the same way as you get a sonic boom when an aircraft goes overhead it creates this shock wave and that's the sound now because the light travels at the speed of light three hundred thousand kilometers a second but sound travels much more slowly you see the flash and then Conveyed through the air comes the rumble of the thunder, which is that shockwave of the air being superheated and expanding so quickly, it cannons into all the air molecules around, causing that shockwave, which is thunder.
0: All right. Thank you so much uh, for that question, Luke. Interesting one from Nelly in Woodlands, who says, Dr. Chris Smith, apparently a study has found that deep space astronauts may be prone to erectile dysfunction. How true can this be? And why do they experience erectile dysfunction?
1: Hi, Nelly. I haven't come across that being a particular risk factor, although people may have been modest and not wanted to share that information. But certainly there are physiological changes from people who go into space. And one of those changes is to the blood vessels. And there's a lot of studies been done on astronauts that have spent variable lengths of time in space. And it does appear that it is bad for your blood vessels. It can age your blood vessels and it can accelerate the process by which our blood vessels fur up or develop um, the, the disease atherosclerosis. And we know that atherosclerosis is a risk factor for erectile dysfunction. So it's possible that some people have come back from long, time in, long durations in space and they may have had their atherosclerosis accelerated and it may have, through that mechanism, caused them to develop erectile dysfunction. Again, I'm speculating. I don't know that's the fact do know that being in space for longer periods of time does have an ageing effect on the on the blood vessel system. This may be for a range of reasons, but one reason that's been speculated is because of exposure to cosmic radiation. And it may be that the increased risk of, of colliding with fast-moving energetic particles has some kind of acceleratory effect on the process that underlies inflammation in the walls of blood vessels and causes them to harden and stiffen. And that may be the reason.
0: Thank you so much, Nelly, for that question. We're going to take a quick break when we come back. More of your questions on 0 11 w 30702 and the WhatsApp line 72 702 Better health starts here on 702. 702.
1: The
0: Naked Scientist. We're still with the Naked Scientist at 11 minutes to 3 o'clock. We take your calls on O11-A30702 and the WhatsApp line 72 We've got Patrick in Germiston. Patrick, hi. Hey, guys. Yes, go ahead. Um, it was 11th, kind of recent. And, uh, you know, I was checking some videos and that, and there were some people that were jumping off the burning buildings. And yes. Basically, a lot of people were saying that they died before they hit the ground. Mm. So my question is, can you die of fright? There is an old saying, I nearly died of fright. Like, mm. what, what does it take? How does it work? Because you can jump out a plane and skydiving but the- dead when you <laughs> yes. your hand at the bottom. So, yeah, what's the deal with that? Okay, okay. So, Doctor, can you die of fright? Is it possible uh, that people jumping out of a burning building, for example, actually die? I actually used to hear that as well when I was younger, that, you know, they don't feel the pain because they die before they hit the ground or the impact is so great that they just feel nothing.
1: Patrick, well, the bottom line is that... Experience something which is incredibly frightening. It does activate your fight or flight system in your body, which is part of your automatic nervous system. That, and that reaction is associated with a massive burst of adrenaline and noradrenaline, its chemical relative, which go into the bloodstream and also go onto, from nerve endings, various end organs, including your heart. Your heart responds to adrenaline and noradrenaline by increasing how hard it pumps. And also how fast it pumps. And this is why when you feel very frightened or something exciting happens, you're often uh, aware of a sensation of your heart thudding in your chest. And when you have that sensation of your heart thudding in your chest, it's your heart working really, really hard. So it is possible in some people, particularly in people who might have an underlying susceptibility to heart problems and rhythm problems that this massive drive to beat hard and fast can push the heart rate in some people into a situation where the heart rhythm becomes unstable and it can then run away to the extent that the person loses consciousness because their heart doesn't pump a meaningful amount of blood out anymore. It's just quivering rather than beating effectively or it can cause the ultimate abnormal heart rhythm. It can just stop So yes, it is possible when you are exposed to these sorts of very frightening or very powerful stimuli. And another one is is immersion in cold water. If people jump into very cold water, this has a similar effect on people. And it can cause some people to have their heart stop because of it. So you've probably seen, we've we've had cases where high-end athletes and footballers have appeared to suddenly collapse on the football field, for example. This is because they have an underlying problem with the heart, which means that when you drive it very hard it can sometimes go into these abnormal rhythms and so when you have something like a very very frightening or very powerful stimulus it can be sufficient to to make this happen in people who probably have an underlying susceptibility to it
0: thank you so much uh, for that question that's come through here's one on a voice note good afternoon
2: Um, my question for the naked scientist today is about looking into the past so there was a documentary that i saw that says that technically we're looking into the past because if you take into account the amount of time that light takes to bounce off an object Mm -hmm. into your eyes, we are looking to the past even though it's a fraction of a second. So the scientist who was talking said that if you can increase the amount of time it takes for the light to bounce from that object to your eye, then you'll be able to look into the past. So my question is, If we can deploy that technology to look at stars, because if we look at stars, we look at them light years away, so we look at them as they were instead of as they are now. Can we not use that same technology here and increase the amount of time it takes for us to look at events in the past so that we'll be able to look through some sort of a looking glass here on Earth? and look at objects but as they were in the past so basically looking back into the past and then maybe you'll be able to see yourself as you were however many years ago this is an intriguing Achide idea from thanks <laughs> thank you so much
0: Ooh, mm, sounds like we're opening a portal here
1: yes well the point is absolutely right mm. which is first of all in terms of our perception when you measure how long it takes us to become aware of a visual signal, so if I shine a light in someone's eyes, how quickly do they notice and, and are able to say, I can see that? We know it takes about 100 milliseconds for light to be filtered and processed through the retina and to then be presented to your consciousness and we're always living in the past anyway because if you look at when you present the stimulus to people when their brain waves change in other words they're experiencing this stimulus and then when they're actually able consciously to say what it is it may be as much as half a second of delay between a person saying oh, yes, now I know what's going on. So we are always living in the past anyway. So the first part of the question was about the processing mentally, and that's absolutely right. The second part of the question relates to the speed of light, which is fixed and finite in in any given medium. And if we take a vacuum, for example, light is travelling, as I said earlier in the programme, about 300,000 kilometres every second. Because of that cosmic speed limit, it means if we gaze skywards and we look at a distant star, because those stars are... Enormous distances away from us. The light that left those stars has had to travel because it's only doing, only doing 300,000 kilometers a second for years and years and years to get to us. And so by the time that light arrives and we see that object in the distance, that object has now aged in the meantime all those years. Now a closer to home example, light travels at about a billion kilometers an hour to put it into simpler terms. So, if we take a planet on the other side of the solar system, Pluto, that's about six billion kilometres away. So if a person on Pluto was tuning into 702, they would hear this phone-in six hours later. So you can imagine trying to do a phone-in show on Pluto to Earth, you'd have a very long wait for each (laughs) question to come in and then each answer to come back. Some people would argue it would be a better show, I don't know, I'm sure they wouldn't say that about this show. but you get the point that light travels at a finite speed and as the distances become bigger and bigger and bigger, the time it takes the light to arrive gets longer and longer. So we are looking into the past and when we look at the distant universe, we can see with very powerful telescopes and optics, we can see objects which haven't existed for billions of years because the distances that the light has been travelling from them to is billions of years old and has been traversing the universe for all that time. So you are looking back to see what that object and that patch of space looked like all that time ago to do it in a way that would be useful to us so we could capture our own life well yes if you had some way of seeing yourself and then capturing the light and slowing it down and there are ways to do that then you could possibly watch yourself back in the past but that would be extraordinarily difficult to do so at the moment we just have to be comfortable with the fact that we can see what the surroundings out in space looked like billions of years ago but that's about all we can do with it
0: Thank you so much for that very intriguing and interesting question. Here is another one on voice note.
2: Hi, Lebo and Dr. Chris. I just want to find out why are insects, for example, a cockroach or an ant, when you drop them from top and then when they hit the ground, they don't maybe get injured or break their bones if they do have. But we human beings, we, even if I can fall from a second floor, I okay, I I'll get injured or break my bones. Why don't I get injured? They seem to go along and
1: crawl. Mm. Mm. Yeah, there's an old saying, which is the bigger they are, the harder they fall. And that's both a metaphor, but also it's relevant here, which is that when you've got a big human falling on the floor, they go splat because they've got enormous amounts of momentum because we weigh a lot. And our body's tissues have to try and convert all of that kinetic energy in us falling to dissipate that and dissipate it in a way that doesn't break and bust open our tissues whereas something like a small insect has a lot less kinetic energy it doesn't weigh very much and when it hits the ground it therefore doesn't have to transfer very much kinetic energy from itself to the ground, it doesn't have to dissipate much energy and therefore it's much less likely to be damaged by that fall because the tissues are sufficiently elastic that they can convert the small amount of energy the object has because it won't fall that fast, it's got a low terminal velocity, it's got a fairly big surface area, especially if it's a fly insect it's got a fairly big surface area and it will slow down as it falls because the mass propelling it downwards is not that big and whereas we have quite a small surface area relative to our mass so we have a higher terminal velocity we'll travel faster when we fall as well so all these things mean that there's a difference in the amount of kinetic energy you've got to convert and how good the tissues are at getting that kinetic energy from you falling down to it turns into some heat and sound on the ground and then you get up and scuttle off You hope you haven't broken too many bones if you're a person.
0: Thank you so much for that question. Dr. Chris Smith, as always a pleasure. And I have to say to the lady who sent through the voice note, people are calling her a queen and saying that she should win the disc and brain of 702 just for asking (laughs) that question alone. So I'm so happy, Dr. Chris Smith. You really do inspire uh, all of us to continue to look out for these interesting science questions that uh, some still don't have answers to. But then again, this show needs to continue.